Today's text is Revelation 18 through 19, verse 9. This can be found on page 1932 of your Pew Bible. Now hear God's word from Revelation. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every unpure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk of the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the, kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth gave rich from her excessive luxuries. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire. Death, Death, mourning, famine, fire. Death, mourning, famine, fire. Death, mourning, famine, fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her in her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Whoa! 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 Whoa to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. Your, your doom, doom has come. come. Your, your doom, doom has come. come. Your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every made, every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, The fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold things and gained from their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Whoa! Whoa! Whoa Whoa to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Brought to ruin. Brought to ruin. Brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who traveled by ship the sailors and all who earned their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? 
they will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning they cry out, Whoa! 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 Whoa, Whoa to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians and pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, the nations were all led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. All right, we are uh, nearing the end of the book of Revelation. We're getting closer. We'll go through the rest of uh, the month of December yet, Um, but uh, we are making progress. Brothers and sisters in Christ, most of you know that I hail from the little town of Sheboygan. Whenever I have occasion to visit there, I'm, I'm always amazed how much it feels like it's a part of me even yet. It feels like, uh, sort of like putting on an old shoe. It just fits. Miesfeld sausage, Gibbsville cheese, city bakery drives around North Point. It's something more than nostalgia. 
It feels like I belong there. It feels like it's in me. The city that uh, we come from has that effect on, on so many of us. Some of you I know have been here in Milwaukee for years, but you still carry that, that small town in Iowa or Waupon, Wisconsin, or wherever it is, you still carry that with you. It's there. It's, it's in you. If someone were to ask you where you're from, <clears throat> you might even struggle to get out Brookfield uh, rather than Pella or Zeeland or Houston or wherever it is. The same is true for Milwaukee, right? If this is your place of origin, wherever you go after that, you can't shake things like Miller Brewing and the State Fair and, and skating in Red Arrow Park or Bob Euchre calling baseball games. You take all of that with you. Those things are, are in you. And whatever city you happen to live in after this, you feel like you still belong in Milwaukee. To what city do you belong? That's the question that John posed to his readers, and that's the question that he poses to us today. To what city do you belong? Do you belong to Jerusalem, or do you belong to Babylon? What city do you carry with you? What city is in you? What city goes with you wherever you go? Before you answer that question, let's, let's try and gather a little more information here, all right? Because I know that there's a lot, we're kind of swimming in information here in Revelation. First of all, let's get our bearings with regard to the text itself. Two weeks ago, we talked about the witness of the church. And we said that God brings, before God brings in the end of this world, before he brings in his kingdom, the church must add its faithful witness to the mute judgments of God and of his creation, okay? We said that the, the witness of the church is vital in this world, especially when it regards the conversion of our friends and the conversion of the nations. And then last week, we focused on this period of, of time in which we would be witnessing. What would this period of time actually be like? This period between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his coming again with the final trumpet. What will that time be like? And what we said is that it's going to be a time of spiritual warfare. A time when, when Satan would be actively trying to get us or trying to distract us from faithful obedience to our God. It'll be a time when even political powers would attempt to intimidate the church of Jesus Christ from actions and from words that would demonstrate our allegiance to the one and only God. It'll be a time of, of conflict and trouble as we witness. Now, some of you told me after, after the chapters we studied last week that those chapters were foreboding to you, that they were scary. And all that talk about dragons and beasts with many heads and horns and the mark of the beast and all of that kind of stuff. It all raises your blood pressure and just puts you on, on edge. Well, I hate to say this, but we should probably have more fear over what we just read from Revelation chapter 18. And that's not because of what's unusual here, what we're not used to. It's not because of whatever monsters or, or blood we see here. 
Rather, it's because of what's so familiar in these chapters, what's so familiar to us. In this part of Revelation, and from here on to the end, the dominant images that we'll find are the images of cities, two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. In fact, chapter 16 is all about uh, the pouring out of, of seven bowls, the seven last plagues that will lead to the fall of Babylon. Chapter 17 is a description of the city of Babylon and her fall. And then our text for today, chapter 18 and into 19, is actually an angel announcing the fall of Babylon, and then we get two responses to its death, to its demise. There is mourning on the earth, and there is celebration in heaven. Two responses. And again, the question for us is... What will our response be? Are we going to rejoice one day at Babylon's fall? Or will we mourn? It's fairly simple. So now that we've kind of got our bearings at least, let's look at this text a little more closely. Verse 3 of chapter 18 says this, An angel with a mighty angel shouts, or An angel with a mighty voice shouts, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. Now let me just try and explain this a bit because it's crucial, I think, that we understand the slant of the text in this place, all right? Um, Remember, if you can, the first Planet of the Apes film. Okay, and kids, if you've only seen the new one, uh, you've got to go back to the original, all right? Charlton Heston returns to Earth on his uh, spaceship. He was in a time capsule, and when he lands here, he thinks he's landed on a different planet. It's not the planet Earth because the world is ruled by talking apes. And then at the end of the film, there's this scene where he's riding down the beach on his horse, and he discovers this large arm sticking out of the sand and held in the hand of that arm is a flaming torch. And he realizes at that moment that it's the Statue of Liberty. And he's staggered by that. In fact, we all are supposed to be staggered because something that he couldn't imagine happening in a million years has happened. The United States has become a haunt for jackals. something we never thought would happen. Or think of it another way. When I was growing up in that little town of Sheboygan, my mom and my sisters would make the twice-annual trek to the north side of Milwaukee to visit Northridge Mall, Northridge Shopping Mall, okay? And Northridge was incredible to us small-timers, right? I mean, it was this vast indoor space. It was filled with people Every store imaginable was there. Not just Sears and JCPenney, but Boston store was there. I think Macy's was there, and then a lot of other things that my mom and my sisters enjoyed, and I had no idea what they were. But this was beyond anything that we knew in Sheboygan, okay? And then one day, the unimaginable happened. The mall closed. The walls were still there, but the stores were vacant. The parking lots were empty. There were no women standing at the door spraying perfume as you came in. It was just empty, empty, empty. 
There was no place, no fountains for the husbands to loiter. There were no benches to rest on. No people. And it looks like soon we'll be saying the same thing about Southridge and about Bayshore and something I never thought I would say, Brookfield Square. The American mall is on its way to extinction. And friends, this is what the angel announces in Revelation 18. He announces the unimaginable. Babylon is fallen. The people, the commerce, the receiving docks, the neon signs, all of it is gone. And all that remains are just a few walls and and some big box names that you can only read just a couple of the letters and lots and lots of broken windows. A haunt for jackals. Babylon is fallen. And friends, the message here is this. Judgment will happen. It will. Babylon will fall. This is a moral universe. And any human opposition to God must come to an end. Babylon will pay for her crimes. And friends, don't kid yourselves into thinking that it won't happen. Just because God in his patience allows Babylon to exist, don't interpret his patience for the fact that he has come to accept it. He will not allow it to go on forever. Judgment will come. In fact, the judgment will come and Babylon will fall. Everything that looks strong and mighty and eternal will one day prove not to be. And the question is, what will your response be? Will you be glad? Will it come as a relief when you finally see Babylon fall? Or will you mourn? Which city do you belong to? Which city is in you? Now, before, again, we answer that question, I think we have to revisit how John has set that question up. Because Revelation is actually a tale of two cities. It's not just one. It's not just about Babylon. It's also the tale of Jerusalem. Further, each of these two cities is personified by a woman, okay? Each of them is personified by a woman. Babylon is the great whore. Jerusalem is the bride or the wife of the lamb. But that's the new Jerusalem, okay? The new Jerusalem is the wife of the lamb. Its predecessor, the predecessor to the new Jerusalem is the holy city that we meet in chapter 11. And there, we heard the unwelcome news that this city would be trampled on for a period of 42 months. But at the same time, we were assured that the inner sanctuary, the place of worship, the place where God's true people worship Him and where God dwells, that inner sanctuary would be protected. It would be protected. So that's the story 
of the holy city, the predecessor of the new Jerusalem. It's a story of trial and tribulation while it witnesses. But ultimately, it's a place of victory. The victory is theirs. And then we read about the woman that goes together with this city in chapter 12. And for that very same time period of 42 months, while that city is being trampled, this, this heavenly woman, right, who gives birth to the Christ child, we read that that woman is going to be kept safe for that entire period of time while the dragon pursues her. In fact, we also read that the dragon tires of pursuing her and he gives up pursuing her and instead he pursues her other children and he kills them. But again, while that's happening, we read that the woman herself will be kept safe. And friends, what we have here are, are two symbols of the very same thing. It's the faithful witnessing church that will be hassled by the devil and even martyred but her spiritual safety is ensured. The dragon's seeming victory, what appears to be victory, will in actuality be his defeat. That's what we are assured of in the book of Revelation. And so this is a story of Jerusalem today. Okay, John is showing us a story of Jerusalem today. And please note, it's an image of the church. Jerusalem is an image of the church. It's not the actual you know, literal city that we're talking about here. But the image that John gives us is a place that's right here on earth. It's a place where God dwells. It's a place where people are faithful and obedient to God. But because of that faithfulness, because of that obedience, they not only experience the nearness and the presence of God, but they also experience the persecution of the world. They suffer the assaults of the evil one. Okay? but they are also guaranteed ultimate victory. And this is the city into which we just baptized Bianca and Jack. Okay? It was into this Jerusalem that we just baptized your kids. God placed his mark on their foreheads and Jerry and Yossi and Aaron and Lindy. You promised to teach your children what it means to live as citizens of that city what it means to give your full allegiance to God and to the Lamb and hold nothing back. And you do that, you made that pledge with the full awareness that while we live in Jerusalem, we also live in Babylon. So let's hear a little bit about Babylon. Babylon is like the evil twin sister of Jerusalem. Babylon is portrayed here as a prostitute. But not just any run-of-the-mill woman of the evening. She's provocative, she's alluring, she's successful, she's rich. In fact, she's so prosperous and appealing that, that she tempts the citizens of Jerusalem to take up with her. To leave Jerusalem and, and put down roots full-time in Babylon. And that, friends, is what Bianca and Jack and all of us are up against the allure of Babylon. Now, something we need to know is that Babylon wears a lot of makeup. <clears throat> okay? So let's strip that away a moment. What we find is that Babylon is an ancient city, an ancient city empire that oppressed God's Old Testament people and took them into exile at the end of the monarchy. 
Okay? It was Babylon that took them into, into exile. Babylon was a proud and confident world power that assumed that she would stand forever. In fact, in Isaiah 47, she boasts, I will continue forever, the eternal queen. Then hear this, I am, and there is none besides me. That's outright blasphemy, friends. She says, I am. It's something that only God can claim. And in this way, Babylon quickly became the image for everything that is anti-God, all that is proud and self-reliant. From the Tower of Babel to Nineveh's oppression and Tyre's wealth, Babylon came to represent the worst of all of it. All of the oppressors of God's people were condensed into the image of Babylon. And in John's day, Babylon presented itself as Rome, as the city of Rome. Rome was the proud, arrogant world power of John's day. And from what we've already seen in Revelation, especially in the seven letters, many of John's parishioners, okay, many of his church members were tempted by Rome's favors. Tempted, like I said, to set down roots in Rome, to make their home in Rome. And so John's church needed two things, okay? Two things for what? Well, in verse 4 of chapter 18, We read this, we read the call, come out of her, come out of her, my people, says the Lord, so that you will not share in her sins and so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Come out of her. John's church needed to come out of Babylon. And in order to do that, okay, she needed two things. She needed to see two things, or needed two things shown to her. First, she needed to see the truth about Babylon. She needed to see Babylon without her makeup. And then second, she needed to see the alternative to Babylon. She needed to see the new Jerusalem. Let me try and explain that. Um, I've been reading through the report on human sexuality that Synod uh, is going to be taking up next year in the month of June. And it's a, it's a lengthy report. It's a thorough report. And there's an entire section in that report on pornography. Okay? And one of the things it says there is this. Most men and growing numbers of women and children regularly use pornography. Okay? We're talking mainly about online pornography here. Growing numbers of us, growing numbers of our society are using pornography. What else the report says is they do it without any guilt. We do it without any guilt. Why? Well, because we've convinced ourselves, we've rationalized that no one gets hurt. Okay? No one gets hurt. Now, in order to disentangle ourselves, in order to come out from that world of pornography, we need to see a couple of things. One, we need to see the truth about pornography. And two, we need to see an alternate life that's presented to us. Okay, an alternate to the world of pornography. First, we need to see the truth. And the truth is, friends, that pornography hurts all sorts of people. 
All sorts of people. Let me just share with you a few quotes. The most frequently watched online pornography could best be described as sexual assault or torture. Rape is common, including child rape and incest themes. Most women filled in the pornography industry do so for no more than six months to a year, often because of the great damage done to their bodies and also their minds. The pornography industry exploits women who are made vulnerable by homelessness, sexual abuse, and trafficking. In fact, next week we're going to take an offering for one of the organizations that, that helps women out of those sorts of situations, exploit no more. Going on, since on-screen women appear to enjoy the violent domination in porn, men and boys assume pornography reflects what women want done to them. And they then take those sorts of practices into their own relationships. As early as 2003, which is sort of when the internet went wild, In a survey of several hundred U.S. divorce lawyers, it was found that 56% of their divorce cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornography or pornographic websites. Friends, that's the truth about porn. Marriages are destroyed. People are injured. People are hurt. All sorts of people get hurt. And so, porn users and consumers need to know that real people really get hurt, but they also need to see an alternative to that, an alternative to that kind of lifestyle, to that kind of picture of our sexuality. They need to see a a Christian picture of marriage, of sexuality, a husband and wife creating a safe place for each other, a committed place within the bounds of marriage. They need to say not a place of of dominance of the one over the other, not a situation of give me what I want, but a picture of selflessly and tenderly putting the other before oneself. Finding joy and giving joy. Finding fulfillment in serving the other. They need to see a picture of the new Jerusalem when all that they know is Babylon. And so too, John's church needs to see the truth about Rome. And they need to see the alternative, the new Jerusalem. Okay? The truth about Rome. Rome looks so prosperous and industrious and and it's filled with all sorts of goodies. But let's take a look underneath that, that sleek veneer for a moment. If you look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 18, you find there the cargoes of all of the ships that were coming into port at Rome. And historians tell us it looked like an endless stream of ships. They just kept coming and coming, probably like the port at San Francisco, just ship after ship after ship. It's not, this list is not there for nostalgic reasons. Okay, John is not saying, wow, I just remember how great it was. This list is there to document the excesses of Roman culture. Let's just look at some of the items that are listed there. If you can remember what was read or if you have your scripture open yet. You read about gold and silver. 
People in Rome used gold for everything. Not only for their eating utensils and their plates, they, they gold-plated just about everything. Their furniture, the ceilings in their houses. And when the rich finally noticed that their neighbors were adorning their slaves' shoes with golden buckles, they finally decided that they needed to be more unique and they turned to silver. Where did all that gold come from? Oh, one critic wrote, any land that promised a yield of gold, that land became Rome's enemy. Rome went to war for all of that gold. That gold came at the cost of blood. Other things are mentioned, pearls. Pearls were actually dissolved in vinegar and drunk at parties, just to show how extravagant we can be. Citron wood, um, large citrus trees grew in northern Africa, and what they would do is they would make beautiful tables out of this wood, expensive tables, highly polished by slave labor, flecked with gold, and they would sell for a mint. Okay, the record price of one of these tables would have been enough to purchase a large estate. Okay, picture the biggest house over on Shorewood, over in Shorewood on the lake. Okay, if you could afford that, you could afford one of these tables. Ivory. Lust for ivory led to the depletion of elephants in northern Africa so bad that they had to turn to India to find more. Um, it was mentioned a few weeks ago. That wine had become so profitable it led to a wheat shortage. There are other normal items that are mentioned here. Flour and wheat, olive oil, cattle and sheep. These things are mentioned not because they're luxuries themselves, but because the consumption of Rome was so incredible, so great. These products came in massive, massive amounts. And there were none left for the nations that were supplying Rome. The list ends with the bodies and souls of men. It was a booming slave trade in Rome. Slaves would come as prisoners of war. That was the main source. But many of the slaves also were what were called foundlings. And foundlings were children left on the street because parents couldn't afford to feed them. Now, Christians actually began rescuing those children, and that was sort of the beginning of the orphanage movement, the beginning of the adoption movement, okay? But while Christians were finding some of those children and taking them in, there were also other people that were finding those children and selling them into slavery. Parents were selling their old children, their own children into slavery because they couldn't afford um, to pay their debts. So slavery wasn't a racial thing in this society. It was based on economics, Hopefully you noticed the three groups of people that the angel said would one day mourn the demise of Babylon. The kings, the merchants, the sea captains. These were all people that benefited from the excesses of Rome. Okay? Rome was good to some people. Some people prospered. They, they were incredibly wealthy. But the common person and the people in the countries that they took all of these goods from, they were hurt. You begin to see now why Rome was called a prostitute. 
There was always a price to pay. There was always a price to pay. She offered the nations her Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But in turn, the nations were forced to pay taxes, and then their very own money would be used to buy up all of their own goods and shipped off to Rome. Rome was exploitative. She took the food of babies so she could gorge herself on luxury. And she did it without any guilt. She did it because she deified herself. Because she didn't care about anyone else. She did it because she could. That's the truth about Rome. Now, what did we say was the truth about Jerusalem? Trouble in this world, oppression, conflict, hardship, God's presence among us, but often invisible and unseen. You might imagine how some of the citizens of Jerusalem began to look at Babylon, how they began to look at Rome. Wouldn't it be nice to live there? Which is why John shows us also the alternative, the new Jerusalem, and we'll actually read more about the new Jerusalem in the coming weeks. But these chapters are filled with contrast between Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon is the harlot with whom the kings of the earth fornicate, Jerusalem is the chaste bride of the Lamb. Babylon's splendor, her gaudy beauty, comes from exploiting her empire. Jerusalem glows with the glory of God. Babylon is filled with abominations, impurities, deceptions. All these things are excluded from the new Jerusalem. We could go on and on and on. One key, Babylon is dressed like a harlot. Jerusalem is dressed like a bride in fine linen, bright and clean, which stands, we are told, for the righteous acts of the saints. The New Jerusalem is the alternative to Babylon. It's a place filled with the presence of God, no longer hidden, no longer subtle, but on brilliant display. It's a place of truth and joy and fulfillment and goodness. It's the place of community with all peoples and nations enjoying its resources. It's a place where everyone has enough. And it belongs to those who belong to Jerusalem here and now. Let me say that again. The new Jerusalem belongs to those who belong to the Jerusalem here and now. The bride, okay, is the woman of chapter 12. She is the church who becomes the bride of the Lamb. It's those who have the old Jerusalem in them who become citizens of the new Jerusalem. It's the people who carry the old Jerusalem with them wherever they go, wherever they live. Those are the people who will be in the new Jerusalem. And the question returns again and again. What city do you belong to? The wealthy merchants mourn the loss of their income. They mourn the loss of their sales of gold-plated ceilings while the citizens of heaven rejoice. No more oppression, no more exploitation. Which crowd are you in? Again, what does it mean to come out of Babylon? Well, for Israel, in captivity, it, it literally meant coming out of Babylon, right? They could do that. We can't. 
Babylon, as we know it, is a world power. It's a world city in the book of Revelation. It's impossible to literally come out of her. The point is, do not participate in her sins. Don't. Don't participate in her sins. What were her sins? Just to name two. Boastful pride and excessive luxury. There were many more. Boastful pride and excessive luxury. She viewed herself as God. And therefore, her only lifestyle question was, can I afford it? Can I do it? Can I get away with it? Friends, as Christians who serve the creating God and the redeeming God, we know that all good things have come through God's creation as gifts from Him to us. Gifts to be used not selfishly, but for the benefit of all of His creatures. And through our deeds, we make ourselves ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb has done so much for us. How do we live in response? We can't forget the fine linens that we must wear to that event, the wedding supper of the Lamb. They're called our righteous deeds. How we live matters. And so we pray for humility, for humility for ourselves, for our nation, for the other nations of the world, And we demonstrate by our actions, by our living standards, by our testimony, a modest and appropriate use of the world's resources, excuse me, so that none of the nations, and especially none of the weak and the powerless among the nations, are made to suffer just so that we can live in luxury. And if we live in that way, the world will begin to see an alternative. We begin to see the characteristics of God's city, the new Jerusalem, and hopefully be so attracted to the lifestyle of that city that even before it finally arrives, they will long for it and long to be a part of it. For we are already citizens of that city, of the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we belong. And God expects us as citizens of that city to live that way. By its characteristics, if we love him, we will walk like Jesus walked. Think again for a moment of Bianca and Jack. What kind of world are they growing up in today? They're citizens of Jerusalem, but they're growing up in Babylon. And we have to constantly ask the question, not just for them, but for all of us. If we get so used to life in Babylon to having it all, will we still be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? Will we be willing to be those faithful and true witnesses that we're called to be? It all comes down to that simple question, which city do you belong to? Which city is in you? And our prayer is that it's Jerusalem. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, we pray that you would not only call us out of Babylon, but equip us 
to come out. Equip us to live faithfully in Jerusalem. Give us a taste of the new Jerusalem that is to come. And help us to point our neighbors and the world to an alternative to what we have today. A better place, a new place, a place where you are truly at the center of all things. Where we rejoice at the table of the the wedding feast with the Lamb. Where everyone will have enough. Lord, we pray for that new Jerusalem to come. We long for it, but you have called us to wait, to be patient, and to be faithful until it comes. Equip us through the power of the gospel to be your faithful people as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen.